0: Section thirty. This and that and the other. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This and that and the other by Hilaire Belloc. Section thirty. Chapter twenty eight. The Valley everybody knows i fancy that kind of landscape in which hills seem to lie in a regular manner fold on fold one range behind the other until at last behind them all some higher and grander range dominates and frames the whole the infinite variety of light and air and accident of soil provide all men save those who live in the great plains with examples of this sort the traveler in the dry air of california or of spain watching great distances from the heights, will recollect such landscapes all his life. They were the reward of his long ascents, and they were the sunset visions which attended his effort when at last he had climbed to the utmost ridge of his day's westward journey. Such a landscape does a man see from the edges of the Guadarrama, looking eastward and southward toward the very distant hills that guard Toledo and the ravines of the Tagus. Such a landscape does a man see at sunrise from the highest of the Savines, looking right eastward to the dawn, as it comes up in the pure and cold air beyond the Alps, and shows you the falling of their foothills, a hundred miles of them, right down to the trench of the Rhone. And by such a landscape is a man gladdened when, upon the escarpments of the Tulemen, he turns back and looks westward over the Stockton plain, toward the coast-range which guards the Pacific. The experience of such a sight is one peculiar in travel, or, for that matter, if a man is lucky enough to enjoy it near his home, insistent and reiterated upon the mind of the home-dwelling man. Such a landscape, for instance, makes a man praise God, if his house is upon the height of Mendip, and he can look over falling hills right over the vale of the Severn, toward the rank above rank of the Welsh solemnities beyond until the straight line and height of the black mountain against the sky his view and frames it it is the character of these landscapes to suggest at once a vastness a diversity and a seclusion when a man comes upon them unexpectedly he can forget the perpetual toil of men and imagine that those who dwell below in the nearer glens before him are exempt from the necessities of this world when such a landscape is part of a man's dwelling-place though he well knows that the painful life of men within those hills is the same hard business that it is throughout the world, yet his knowledge is modified and comforted by the permanent glory of the thing he sees. The distant and high range that bounds his view makes a sort of wall, cutting the country off and guarding it from whatever may be beyond. The succession of lower ranges suggests secluded valleys, and the reiterated woods distant and more distant, convey an impression of fertility more powerful than that of corn in the harvest upon the lowlands. Sometimes it is a whole province that is thus grasped by the eye, sometimes in the summer haze of the northern lands, a few miles only. Always this scenery inspires the onlooker with a sense of completion and of repose, and at the same time, I think, with worship and with awe. Now one such group of valleys there was, hill above hill, forest above forest, and beyond it a great noble range, unwooded and high against heaven, guarding all the place which I for my part knew from the day when I first came to know anything of this world. There is a high place under fir-trees, a place of sand and bracken in South England, whence such a view was always present to my eye in childhood, and there said I to myself, even in childhood, a man should make his habitation. In those valleys is the proper settling-place for a man. And so there was, there was a steading for me in the midst of those hills. It was a little place which had grown up as my county grows, the house throwing out arms and layers, and making itself over ten generations of men. One room was panelled in the oak of the seventeenth century, but that had been a novelty in its time, for the walls upon which the panel stood were of the late fifteenth, oak and brick intermingled. Another room was large and light, built in the manner of one hundred and fifty years ago, which people call Georgian. It had been thrown out south, and this is quite against our custom, for our older houses looked east and west to take all the sun, and to present a corner to the southwest and the storms. So they stand still. It had rounded a solid cornice, which the modern men of the towns would have called ugly, but there was ancestry in it, and further on this house had modern roominess, stretching in one new wing after another, and it had a great set of byres and barns, and there was a copse and some six acres of land. Over a deep gully stood over against it a little town that was the mother of the place, and altogether this good place was enclosed, silent, and secure the fish that misses the hook regrets the worm if this is not a chinese proverb it ought to be that little farm and steading and those six acres that ravine those trees that aspect of the little mothering town the wooded hills fold above fold the noble range beyond all these were not and for ever will not be mine for all i know some man quite unacquainted with that land took the place grumbling for a debt or again, for all I know, it may have been bought by a blind man who could not see the hills, or by some man who, seeing them, perpetually regretted the flat marshes of his home. Today, this very day, up high on the Egdian side, not thinking of such things, through a gap in the trees, I saw again after so many years set one behind the other, the woods, wave upon wave, the summer heat, the high bare range guarding all, AND IN THE MIDST OF THAT LANDSCAPE sat LIKE A TOY THE LITTLE Sabine FARM. THEN, SAID I, TO THIS PLACE I MIGHT NOT KNOW, CONTINUE, GO AND SERVE WHOM YOU WILL. YOU WERE NOT ALTOGETHER MINE BECAUSE YOU WOULD NOT BE, AND TODAY YOU ARE NOT MINE AT ALL. YOU WILL REGRET IT, PERHAPS, AND PERHAPS YOU WILL NOT. THERE WAS VERSE IN YOU, PERHAPS, OR PROSE, OR, MUCH BETTER STILL, FOR ALL I KNOW, CONTENTMENT FOR A MAN. BUT YOU REFUSED. YOU LOST YOUR CHANCE. GOOD-BYE. And with that I went on into the wood and beyond the gap, and saw the sight no more. It was ten years since I had seen it last, the little Sabine farm. It may be ten years before I see it again, or it may be forever. But as I went through the woods, saying to myself, YOU LOST YOUR CHANCE, MY LITTLE Sabine farm, YOU LOST YOUR CHANCE. Another part of me at once replied, "Ah." and so did you then by way of repost i answered in my mind not at all for the chance i never had all i have lost is my desire no more no not only your desire said the voice to me within but the fulfilment of it and when that reply came i naturally turned as all men do on hearing such interior replies to a general consideration of regret and was prepared IF ANY HONEST PUBLISHER SHOULD HAVE COME WHISTLING THROUGH THAT WOOD, WITH AN OFFER PROPER TO THE OCCASION, TO PRODUCE NO LESS THAN FIVE VOLUMES ON THE NATURE OF REGRET, ITS MORTAL STING, ITS BITTER SWEETNESS, ITS POWER TO KEEP ALIVE IN MAN THE PURE PASSIONS OF THE SOUL, ITS HINTED IMMORTALITY, ITS MEMORY OF HEAVEN. BUT THE WOOD WAS EMPTY. THE OFFER DID NOT COME. THE MOMENT WAS LOST. THE FIVE VOLUMES WILL HARDLY NOW BE WRITTEN. In place of them I offer poor this, which you may take or leave, but I beg leave before I end, to cite certain words very nobly attached to that great inn The Griffin, which has its foundation set far off in another place in the town of March, in the sad Fenland near the eastern sea. England my desire, what have you not refused? The end of Section thirty the end of chapter 28